Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I'm your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we're bringing you information about the five areas of child development, and by that we mean physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive. And today we have a Brains in Toyland segment. And we're calling it Fostering Meaningful Relationships with Children by Making Chores Fun. And we have a guest, uh, Raina Lombardi, who's an art therapist. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of scoop about Raina, and then we'll bring her in. So as I mentioned, she's a board-certified and registered art therapist, and she's also a licensed mental health counselor from Fort Myers, Florida. And she has a master's degree in expressive arts therapies from Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And she's got some real nice experience working um, both in public and private sectors and working in a therapeutic educational settings with children who have special needs. And she's also done work um, with outpatients doing in-home services um, in private practice. And she also presently owns and operates Florida Art Therapy Services, where she uh, provides art therapy and counseling services for really people across the lifespan, so children, adolescents, um, adults, and seniors. She also provides group-based art therapy services um, through agencies within um, the Southwest Florida community. And so before I bring Raina on, I'm actually going to jump to her website, and we're going to post that on our station site so you have that, but it's FloridaArtTherapyServices.com. She has a wonderful quote by Georgia O'Keefe on her on her website that said it says, I found I could say things with color and shapes that I couldn't say any other way. Things I had no words for. And I just thought that was a really beautiful quote. So I wanted to start the show off with that. And so um, with that, uh, Raina, welcome, welcome. Why don't you um well let me let you say hi first. Hi. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good Thanks afternoon. For me. Oh, it's great to have you. And I, I really did love that that Georgia O'Keefe quote that you have on your website. And so I kind of gave um, a little bit of background about what you're doing. Um, but before we got into our conversation again about how we can create meaningful relationships with our kids by making chores fun, I want to tell the audience a little bit more about what an art therapist does. Um, a little bit about the training you've had and and why an art therapist is a really nice resource for all parents, not just for children who have special needs, but you have training and skills that could really benefit anyone. And that's that's one of the the missions of the show is for all parents to understand that these um, professionals have lots to offer all children, not just those with special needs. So with that, why don't why don't we start there? Okay, great. So um, art therapists hold a graduate degree, a master's, um, and they're typically trained in both art and therapy. And usually um, they've done undergraduate work in both those areas as well. Um, They use the creative process and um, assessment and treatment with the individuals they work with. And um, after completing a master's training program, um, it's required if you want to become credentialed uh, to complete a certain level of postgraduate supervised clinical work, which means that there's another uh, trained professional 
who has completed a credential and has a lot of experience that's overseeing and guiding your work while you're um, just getting started, which can be really helpful. And um, and so after you've completed, um, I, I it's been a long time since I I did mine, but I think it's about a thousand hours of uh, of training with um, every 10th hour being supervised by this um, higher-level professional. You can attain uh, the ATR credential, which is the Registered Art Therapist credential. And then if you want to become board-certified, then you can take a um, a qualifying exam, which um, kind of, you know, tests you on your... Um, on all of your education and skills pertaining to art therapy. And so then you can get the BC, and I have both the ATRBC. And then I also completed a mental health counseling license in the state of Florida, which additionally requires uh, postgraduate um, training and, and supervision, working under um, somebody who has a license, supervising and overseeing your work to make sure that um, you're providing your clients with the best possible service. And um, in addition, I've spent the past four years working under the supervision of two um, different and talented uh, play therapy supervisors. And they hold, um, a, in addition to having licenses in mental health and social work, they hold a, a play therapy supervisor credential. And I'd like to work towards that. Um, I enjoy that aspect of working with kids. Um, play is a lot of fun. And, um, and important. <laughs> it's also and, super important. And important. <laughs> yes, it's more than fun. <laughs> it's essential. Um, and so uh, the, the way I work with each client um, or individual is going to be dependent on what goals they want to achieve. Um, and then I'm also going to work in a developmentally appropriate way um, to make sure that I'm providing interventions that meet their developmental needs. Um, and, you know, art therapy can be used with clients for a variety of different um, a variety of different things to explore feelings, um, to work on developing positive identity formation, increasing awareness, um, building self-esteem, managing feelings and behaviors, um, and decreasing uh, symptoms of depression or anxiety, or working through trauma symptoms and being able to manage those more effectively. Um, and, but essentially, I, I specialize in um, developing meaningful relationships with my clients using the creative process as a bridge. And um, I think children are naturally drawn to creative means, whether that's exploration with art materials um, or imaginative play. And those approaches meet their developmental needs very well. Right. And so I think the big takeaway I wanted for the audience with asking you who you are and what you do, your training, what you know, you personally, but your colleagues in your fields, um, because I see a lot of, uh, I engage a lot in social media and I have a Facebook page and I listen to the questions that are being said and 
a lot of times parents are asking each other questions and, and trying to give well-intended advice, but sometimes I think a lot of the things I see are off the mark. So at Kids A to Z, what we always mm-hmm. advocate, that if you have a, a true question about your child's development, if you have a concern or want to know the best way to handle something, we advocate that the parent go to an expert in that area. And so if if um, a parent has concerns about how their relationship is developing with their child or perhaps between some siblings, that someone like an art therapist is really well-trained to help a parent intervene and promote really nice development in that area. So so thank you for that. And, thank um, you. Yeah, sure. So let's get a little bit more into the, the substance of our talk. And, again, we're here to talk to parents about how they can – foster relationships with their children and make time to do that. We know that it's it's so busy. But in regard to that, what is it that you wish parents knew about um, making time and fostering meaningful relationships? I, I truly believe that every moment that we have is an opportunity to engage in a meaningful way. Um, you know, sometimes, like you said, we are moving so quickly through life and there's so many pressures to go and do we have so many responsibilities that it can be hard to multitask and make those um, moments that we do have really meaningful Um, so that I, I believe that to be true, that every moment can be, but we have to find a way to slow down, um, sometimes taking planning into consideration, planning out um, how to use those moments more effectively can be helpful, but really being present and engaged with your child when they're with you, um, that that can make a big difference. They really notice when we're not attending to them. Um like when we're on our phones or we're looking at the paper or something like that? Yes, especially I think the phone for sure. Um, that that can be something that's difficult, I think. Whether that's relationship for, with adult to adult or adult to child, um, we are very connected with our media and technology, email, phone, um, and it's easy to be let me just finish this up real quick uh, when your child is right there and they really need your attention. Um, And I understand those things are important and sometimes they can't be ignored, but I do recommend to people to create a a structure and routine um, where they limit their use of those things when they are uh, having that special time with their kids. Um, it it allows you and them to create healthy habits, and I believe that they're you're their model, and they're picking up on all the things that you're doing and noticing it and internalizing it in some way. They're trying to make yeah. sense of it. And, go ahead. Yeah, I want to just I just want to um, highlight that where you said you're their model, and they really are listening. They really are watching, and. Um, that's why what we do really is so critical, more important than what we say because they're watching and and we are those models for them. Um, And I know it can be hard and I know um, with the technology, I know I'd gone to a training when they trained us at work on a new computer system, the trainer suggested not keeping your email on all day (laughs) and just going, 
you know, scheduling times to go to it. And I actually tried it, and I was so much more efficient. And I imagine little um, structure like that or something parents can, can incorporate into their day to have downtime for the kids. Absolutely. I, I think that's that's really essential. Otherwise, I, I think we can easily become overwhelmed, too, and we feel like we have to attend to those things as mm-hmm. they filter in, whereas if you set a specific time in the morning or a specific time in the afternoon to take care of it, it, it doesn't feel as daunting. Um, and then it allows you to have that time to connect with your with your kids. Um I would say if you can do that and play as often as you can with them, um, that's really essential. And there's no set time, just as much time as your schedule allows. Were you going to say something? Um, No, I'm just, I'm listening. No, no, go ahead. Um, So I know that on weekdays, especially that that's, the hectic part of life, right? You're getting up, you've got to get everybody ready and out the door and then you come home and it's like, oh, I've got to get dinner, I've got to get them cleaned up and to bed. Um, So sometimes it might feel like there isn't a lot of time within that weekday schedule, but if you can find five or ten minutes um, to really be with them, play with them, allow them to lead the play And by that, I mean uh, listen to them and note what they're doing. So if you speak out loud what they're doing, oh, I see you're making the doll put on that new dress. So I see the doll is walking over to the other room. Then the child is internalizing your presence and um, and really feeling that you're attending to them. And I think that's a really important aspect of the play that I encourage parents to do together. And clinically, it's referred to child-directed play. And sometimes it's a skill set that can be challenging for some parents. Um, I've had parents report they don't feel comfortable or they don't know what to do or how to play. And I think, you know, here's an example of what you said. There are many professionals that offer parent-child relationship work, and there are many play therapists out there that do really great work with something called filial play. And the focus of that treatment is simply on building that connection between parent and child through this type of play and helping parents to... um, facilitate that on their own at home. And I Wait, and believe you, I was reviewing said, some of your uh, work. You, oh, Go I'm ahead. gonna I'm gonna jump in one second. Um just the the play you mentioned was called filial play. F I L I A L That's correct. That's okay. So filial play. All right, that's um I'm gonna go research that. That's a um, maybe quickly. Would you mention what that is? We have a number of shows we've done in the past on um, the child-directed play, and then just play skills in general. What to expect um, that parents can go refer to um, in our archives on the show. But maybe quickly, just repeat um, filial play and, and what that is. Sure. So that's where the parent comes into the session, and the play therapist works with 
the parent to be able to um, play and allow the child to take the lead and to direct the play and, um, you know, teaches them how to do that. So sometimes I think when, as as parents, you know, we're in the role of um, telling and directing. And in this sense, we're giving that power to the child to direct the play and um, and have the, the parent there to acknowledge and um, attend to the child so that they feel felt and heard and attended to, which promotes that healthy attachment and bond. Okay, very good, very good. So... Um Let's talk a little bit now about why it's so important to have this one-on-one time with your child. Why, why do we want to make sure that we schedule and get this in? Well, honestly, I think that it has to do with uh, that healthy attachment, which is essential for our overall um, positive and healthy development um, in all the areas that you mentioned when you started the show. Um, But it's really important to establish that when they're young so that they do feel they can come to you and talk to you openly and that you will be there to listen and acknowledge what's going on in their lives as they get older. And I'm always um, surprised by probably some of the the most frequent things I've heard from young kids is that they wish they were able to spend more quality time with their parents or that they don't feel noticed or understood by their parents. And I don't don't think that's, you know, uh, a totally a normative experience, but I do think that uh, there are limited hours in the day where the child um, is with their parents. So many kids, you know, they're in daycare, they're in school, they go to after-school programs. People have to work. So the amount of quality time that a parent may have with their child might be really limited, and that contributes to that feeling of, um, you know, not being connected and not having a lot of time with them. I'm always surprised when teenagers or adolescents say uh, their parents are not uh, having time for them because they're on the computer or their phone. Um, So it's really important, even as they age and get older, to still make that time to connect and uh, unplug from our screens and really be present in the moment so that they know that we're, we're there with them. Yeah, and being present in the moment, and also moment by moment. I, even if it's little bits of time, over time, these these experiences accumulate and I think add up to something, no? I, I believe so, absolutely. Um, I, I think every moment counts. And the more you're able to uh, raise your awareness of that, the the more moments you'll find that you have, I think. Right. Um, you had mentioned it's about, um, attachment. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say you had mentioned attachment earlier. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and um, 
and the impact it has on a on a child and then through their adulthood maybe sure so attachment has to do with uh the connection between parent and child and it is um it starts obviously at birth when um you know the the babies are there we're holding them we're gazing into their eyes um they're having their needs met by their parents um through nurturance and feeding and all of those um healthy bonding experiences but um attachment work also continues after uh, you know, they go into toddlerhood and um, and start walking and talking. It's really important to continue that um, attachment by fostering meaningful connection with your child. And it goes back to all the things we just talked about, but being there, interacting, listening to them, uh, making sure that they feel seen, heard and acknowledged and um, building that trusting relationship with them helps to um, there's there's research that shows or suggests that these secure and healthy attachments are uh, related to long-term social emotional psychological health of your child so it's it's really important. I don't know if um right. So it is clearly important. So and we we do have such limited time. So how how much time ideally would you say um that parents should be spending each day or each week um with their children and what are some maybe general activities you can suggest? Well, the ideal amount of time is as much as you can. I don't think you can ever spend too much time. Um, well, maybe until they become a teenager or something and they need a little more independence. But even at that point, and it's still important to spend that quality time with them as much as possible. And I know that that's going to vary based on families and family work schedule and um, the situation. But as much time as you can. And if you can spend up to 30 minutes of interrupted non-screen time and a meaningful way um, every day, if you can find that, I think that's a significant amount and that um, really can make an impact. Um, I know it sounds like a lot of time for for many people, and that might not be attainable every day. So as much as you can, Um, And, you know, on weekends when maybe your schedule is a little freer, then more time if if possible. That would be wonderful. Um, I I really place some stress on the non-screen time uh, simply because I feel like that's a passive activity and it's not an active activity. Um, So, for example... Some families might say they, well, we watch TV together every night. We watch a particular show um, together every night. That's one way we spend time together. But um, because it's a passive activity, 
it's not focused on the connection between you and your child. It's focused on the connection between the person that's viewing the program and the character on the screen. Um, if that's something that you do do, one way to in, include um, an, an active activity would be to have some kind of discussion about what that shared experience was afterwards. But for the most part, I believe that kids want to be active. They uh, have so much energy that they need to get out. They're doers. They're curious. And um, the more that you can be physically doing activities together, the, the, the better. Um, and that might be going on a walk, bike ride after dinner, uh, reading together, um, and enacting the characters of the stories that you're reading, obviously playing together. Um, and that might include board games, but I, again, I would try and limit the types of video games that you might include with um, your child. Not that those things are bad and not that, you know, TV is bad. It has its place, but if you really want to focus on um, engaging the relationship, I would do it through other means. Um so you might you might consider doing some long-term projects together that you can document. Um, for example, if your child loves to help out in the kitchen, which lots of kids do, they're really interested in what you're doing and what you're making and want to help out, um, you know, I would encourage that. Anytime they're asking to help you with something or curious about something, that's an opportunity for you to jump on because um, you have their attention, their attention's already there, and it's going to be a lot easier, um, and you can make it fun and engaging. So if they want to help out in the kitchen, and say you're making a recipe of some sort, uh, you could take a couple of photos of the whole process uh, with you all getting messy and creating, and then uh, print out those pictures and then ask your child a few questions about the experience. So what was your favorite part of making the cake or the omelet or hamburger, whatever it was that you made together? What part did you like least about it? Maybe that was cleaning up because, right, sometimes that's not so fun. Uh, what Would you add anything to it? What would you do to change the recipe to make it more exciting and record their answers and um, and then make some responses of your own. If you do that a couple of times a week, even a couple of times a month before you know it, you have a little uh, book about your relationship with your child, the fun that you're having together through these shared experiences. And then it also can serve as um, a a transitional object for when you're not there that your child can read and review when they want to or they need to, which can continue to promote feelings of connection and security when you're not there. Um, and anytime you engage in a, a joint art-making session or project, um, that's always fun too and another fun fun thing to document. Yeah, and I love that end product, that you have something physical in your hand that, as you had mentioned, the child can use that as a transitional object. So if mom or dad or whomever's not there, they have that to remind them of them. 
and the example you gave is really wonderful also because of the language and um, conceptual benefits children get from it, answering and asking those questions, talking about the process and planning and organization. So there's lots of things that you are addressing from their intellectual growth um, in addition to their um, emotional growth with a task like that. So that that's something I really, really like. Yeah, I, absolutely. I agree. It definitely ties into a lot of those skills that you want them to be learning to be prepared for school and successful there, too. Right. And it's natural and organic. You're not sitting there having them memorize vocabulary words. It's, it's, it's happening uh, in a natural, fun, engaging way. Yeah. So um, it's as we've been saying, life can be hectic and it is hard to find alone time. So, and you and I have discussed, you know, how how can we make this productive personal time or this personal time productive and where we can maybe spend quality time with our children and get some of those tasks on our to-do list done. Um, So part of what we had discussed in our conversations offline before was about doing chores and doing chores with our children in a way that's creative and fun and engaging. And so um, we're able to spend um, more quality time with them and do it in a, in a productive way. So let's talk about a few different chores that we can do with young children who are like uh, toddler age, preschool age, so that parents can turn these activities, these chores, into um, maybe more fun pastimes. Sure, Absolutely. Um, one way to to do that would be turn any chore or activity that you're doing into a role play or dramatizing it in some way. Uh, that can definitely bring some excitement to the project or the, the chore at hand. Things that are fun and exciting are obviously more engaging to your kids. Uh, for cooking time, you could pretend to be a chef of a fancy restaurant um, this could be a lot of fun if you make a role that you have to speak in character the whole time. So if we were making, say, fish and chips, we might be working in a British restaurant and we might speak in a proper British accent. Or um, if we were preparing something that was French in nature, we might speak with a French accent or Spanish or Italian, um, et cetera, et cetera. You can obviously uh, make it anything you want to, and it will be fun and probably get a lot of laughs. And maybe you coordinate where you're from with your menu, like I said. Um, Ahead of time, you might have some time together where you create and make a chef hat for your characters, and that can easily be made with an oversized piece of white construction paper and some staples and you just roll it, staple it, and allow your child to draw color or put stickers on there. And um, and then once you have your really tall chef's hat, you can wear it while you're in the kitchen and really help you get into character. Um, that would be fun. Um, vacuuming is probably another chore everybody has to do. And, um, you know, you might make up a silly song about the task while you do it. One example could be um, using kids' songs that they already know or are acquainted with and then 
changing the words that are appropriate to the task that you're completing. So, for example, uh, the popular song Wheels on the Bus, I'm sure most parents have heard the song. Um, instead of singing Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round, you can um, ad-lib it to be talking about vacuuming. And so the wheels on the vacuum go round and round all through our town and then changing some of the lyrics to the motor on the vacuum picks up the dust, picks up the dust, picks up the dust, the motor on the vacuum picks up the dust all through our house. And obviously I'm not using my singing voice, but you get the idea, and um, (laughs) kids will certainly have a good time with that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. If you're dusting... Um, you could turn it into a dusting dance party. Put on your radio, and um, have uh, your you can have your child pick out a particular genre of music, or you can choose. And then um, you can make a rule so that uh, we only have X amount of songs, X number of songs to complete the living room. Or you could set limits to the type of dancing that you're doing. So this dusting dance party is for ballerinas. And ballerinas use slow, fully stretched and extended muscles and move elegantly and slowly through the space. So you'd be focusing on body control and helping them slow their body down so that they can be safe in the space while they're completing the task and emphasize that and demonstrate with your body. You want to mirror that and show them how to do it, um, that you're moving slowly and elegantly and taking your time to dust the table. And to get from one object to another, we can do a a single leap or a single pirouette. Um, Or you might want to pick up the pace and get them moving a little bit faster in their body. And so you might say this is a twist-only dance party and there are no limits to the type of twist that you come up with um, and but while you're dusting you have to be doing the twist and so you'd want to coordinate whatever music you put on for that um, or you could have a dance party switch off where you choose um, a couple of types of uh, dances or styles of music and um, then with each style that comes on your your list that you play, uh, you have to switch the type of dance that you're doing. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless with that. Um, if you're doing table setting and you do a nightly meal where you sit down together at the table, which is also really important for family attachment and connection, um, recommend that if you can, as often as you can. Um, turn turn that into a quiz show opportunity. So you get into the role of being the host, and you're the host of the table setting time quiz show, and your child is the guest. And you introduce them in your host voice and say, the first question on our quiz show today is, how many people are coming for dinner? And um, and then you give your child the opportunity to come up with that answer. If they need help, you might take out a group of forks and ask them to count the name of each member um, for each fork that they need. And um, 
so they have a, a manipulative to help them with that task. Um, and depending upon, you know, where they're at, three, four, five, you know, in, in age, that might be easier or a little more challenging for them. So they might need some help or they might do it successfully on their own. And then if um, once they have the forks, um, then you can continue the process with the other things that you need. Okay, so how many napkins do we need? Um and, uh, of course, make it really exciting and, you know, we have a winner. You got it right. There's five people coming to the dinner table tonight. Now it's the next round. In this round, there's no need to answer. Just show me. You have three minutes. Show me where all five forks go on the table. And um, so you get them doing, the, you're, you're teaching them life skills, you're teaching them um, some pre-academic skills, and you're having fun, you're having fun together, and you're doing, you know, your regular everyday task at hand. And I think most kids are really capable of doing, and they generally do want to help uh, when they're they're that age. And if you can maximize that and get them get them tuned into it, um, everybody wins. It's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, it, it is. And, and again, with this task also, it, it's, it overlaps those intellectual uh, cognitive <laughs> school smarts uh, that you're starting to build. And there's a lot of language going on. They're answering questions. They're counting. So those are number concepts. And um, parents are always anxious for their children, of course, to do well in school um, and for them to learn. But we don't need to teach them outright and flash a picture card of the number five. It is much nicer. Let's put the forks out, a fork for mommy, a fork for daddy, a fork for grandma, a fork for me kind of thing, and then count that way. Yeah. Um, more concrete. It's more functional. It's, it's, it serves a purpose. So that's another example um, here is a really great activity that that covers lots of different areas of development. So, um what else can could you suggest? Sure. Um another idea might be to create a verbal game to engage in dialogue while completing a task together. So, for example, if you're washing windows or say you're cleaning cleaning the mirrors or the sliding glass doors, um you might have to adjust it based on your child's verbal ability and letter recognition skills, where, depending on where they're at. But one, one example might be, while we're cleaning this together, I say a word, and now you have to come up with another word where the la- not using the last letter of the word. So, for example, if I say the word now, you would say wow because we're starting the next word with the last letter of the first word so if you say wow i might say who and then we know okay what's the last letter of that one oh okay so what words come with oh 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 comes with and then um can keep going from there and i've used yes. this game in the car mm-hmm. too it's great <laughs> go ahead right so um, just in terms of age for children, those that's a real preschool and up kind of skill. 
um, and children may or may not have difficulty, but a way to either help children have trouble with it or younger children who aren't quite ready, um, say you use the word now, um, you can give them a choice. You know, does uh, wow or bob <laughs> begin with that wah sound? So you're you're helping right. introduce them to um, listening for sounds and when words begin and end and um eventually to that sound and letter correspondence. So there's ways parents can even modify um, a task like this. Yes, that is fun on long car rides, um, even short car rides, and or when you're waiting at the table in a restaurant for the food to come <laughs> and need to entertain yeah. children <laughs> creatively. <laughs> you can use it many Absolutely. places. But cueing, yeah, cueing children. So, um, you know, giving them a little help. Choices um, are always nice for that. Are always uh, nice for that. Very much so. I also um, was thinking you could do, um, you know, slightly different, but just thinking about rhyming sounds. So, um, you know, parroting back how many words can we come up with that rhyme. Um, Again, you know, getting them to listen for uh, those sounds and getting, you know, amping up those pre-academic skills, but we're still having fun while, while we're doing it. And um, other variations might be naming groups of like items or colors. So um, we might say, okay, um, you pick a group. What do you want to um, make a list of? Do you want to make a list of fruit? Do you want to make a list of sports? Do you want to make a list of um, colors? And then uh, we'll go back and forth. So I said apple. You say orange, banana, right, and go go through that way. And, again, we're still having fun. We're being together. We're connecting, and we're um, emphasizing those skills, those other skill sets, too. Um, right. What else? Um, well, I know, you know, running errands with your kids, um and um, like going to, when you have to go shopping or go to the grocery store, or go pick up your dry cleaning. Um, what's a way to keep them engaged in a fun way? So you're getting your chore done, but you're engaging them and, and again, making it a nice, rich interaction with your child. And these verbal games sure. you mentioned are something you could do during those processes. Um, but what else? Um, like maybe if you are at the grocery store with your child, what's something we can do? Yeah, absolutely. So I I also think it helps with preventing meltdowns, too, because they're engaged. (laughs) When they're not engaged, um, they're like, oh, when is this going to be over? You know, how much longer? Um, So one idea might be to, before you go into the store, to prep them and uh, say we're going to play a scavenger hunt game today while we go to the grocery store. And, um, you know, I'm having a hard time sometimes when I go and I have, I have trouble finding certain things. And so we're going to do a scavenger hunt and you're going to help me find the things that I need on my list. And so we might get into real imaginative pretend time and uh, we might wear special grocery goggles that help us find the things that we need. And so we might put those on before we get in and really get into character and um, and tell them before you go in, okay, I need you to help me find these three things. 
And um, so maybe it's uh, their favorite cereal, um, bananas, um, tomatoes, for example. And then when you're in the store, you want to cue them when you get into the general area. Okay, are you still on the lookout? Do you remember what you're looking for? I think we might be close. Are your goggles on? And, you know, emphasize this um, imaginative play, you're having fun, um, and then they can help you identify and point out the things that you're looking for, and then you can make it really exciting. Awesome! Yay! You know, we've got one thing down on our scavenger hunt. Great job. And um, another way might be if you're learning colors while you're in the store, okay, but we're going to start off with the color orange, and we're going to point out everything that we see that's orange or blue or red. Um, or it might be if they're getting to the point where they're, um, you know, having having to learn some letter recognition. Maybe it's, you know, starting with the letters that are in their name. Okay, if you can find, if you see the letter, um, say uh, your child's name is um, Jim, so if you can, if you see um, anything with the letter J, I want you to point it out to me. I want you to be on the lookout for the letter J, like that starts your name, um, and get them engaged that way. If you, if they're learning to count, you can have them help you pick out the number of items that you need to reinforce those skills. So, okay, we need to pick five bananas. Um, can you help me pick out five and then? you know, we can count them out together. Um, so those are just a few different things that you can do while you're uh, running those errands that can make it be fun. And obviously, you know, I just framed it out to be in the grocery store, but you could use that if you were going to a department store or, um, you know, a home goods store or something like that. You just change, you know, what you're looking for and, and such. Yeah. Yeah, and as you're talking and we're going through these, um, it's reminding me of um, a talk I did for the show, I think it was last July, talking about activities and ideas to foster critical thinking and language skills and setting them up with these questions is really wonderful. Um, I'm thinking of your example when they were setting the table. One of the things I often do is if we're going to have cereal, I might hand the child a fork, and that's an absurd thing, and it just prompts um, an opportunity to talk about, you know, why the fork isn't ideal, what what should you use instead. It's silly, so it engages them because they'll laugh, um, and then they have to think critically. You know, why isn't the fork good? Because the water or the, the liquid is going to go through it. Well, what do you need? And um, then they can talk about a spoon, and maybe you can give them a spoon, like a ladle, to dish out soup and why that's inappropriate. And so um, you're getting the task done of feeding the children, and you're doing it in a fun way too. So, um, again, there's a lot of uh, different um, developmental skills that we're working on when, when we're able to um, think a little creatively and fun. And so I like a lot of these ideas that you've been sharing um, oh, thank you. And, yeah, and so I had mentioned your website earlier, and you had that wonderful quote um, from Georgia O'Keefe. And um, yeah. why don't you talk to us about some of your projects? You have your website, and I know that you've been a contributing author also to a book on art therapy, 
why don't you talk to us a little bit about those? Sure. Um, so uh, in 2014, I contributed a, a chapter on art therapy um, to an edited text called Integrating Expressive Arts and Play Therapy, a guidebook for mental health practitioners and educators. And the book provides a synopsis of the various expressive therapies, art, dance, drama, sand play, music, poetry, again, you know, all of those creative processes. And it gives information on their history, the theories that inform the practice, um, their applications, uh, a general overview of their applications, um, the education and training one needs to do that type of work. And then they also provide some case illustrations of how those methods might be used to help people um, in, in various settings. And so that's really exciting. And um, I, I do have my website. I feel like it's a work in progress. Uh, I'd like to add a blog component targeted at tips for parents. Last summer, I did create a resource for my clients and their families on things that they could do together in the summer that were easy on the budget because sometimes, you know, that becomes a problem too is to, to always be going and doing things with your kids is expensive. So I created a resource that targeted fun and free programming within the various community resources that we have in my area, um, which the library usually offers really great programming for kids, educational, fun mm -hmm. stuff in the summertime, um, our county and state parks and different local events. I'm sure, you know, no matter where you are in the country, you can access some of your local resources that way too. And then I also created a bunch of creative ideas um, to do at home with kids where um, they were affordable but uh, still focused on creating that meaningful interaction and having fun. So I'd like to be able to put um, more types of resources like that on the website and a blog to share with others. So I'm working yeah. on that. I haven't, I haven't got it up and going yet. <laughs> Yes, life is always a work in progress. Um, but you do have a Facebook page, correct? And so I imagine there's some stuff up there too? Um, I do have a Facebook page, and it's Florida Art Therapy Services um, on Facebook. And, um, I, again, it's a, that is probably uh, newer than my website. So I'm still working on getting some good stuff loaded up on there. But, yes, um, that's. <laughs> I know that feeling <laughs> too terribly well, <laughs> um, but I still think you do have some nice resources up there, and um, I encourage parents to um, to look at what you have, to look at what you have. So we're starting to wind down the interview a little bit, and, and as we get to the end, we always ask our guests, our experts, there are five fantastic facts for families. So more or less, your favorite advice to share with families, and what, what would you say? I would say uh, structure and consistency are your friends. Creating structure uh, will maximize uh, the benefits of the time that you do have with your kids and help you, um, help you do it more consistently. Uh, play with your kids. Allow your child to be the leader when engaging in play. Actively listen to them. Follow their directions. Repeat what they hear, uh, or excuse me, repeat what you hear them say, 
back to them um, and have fun with it. Um, chores, which we talked about today, chores can be a great and fun opportunity to bond with your children, get creative, and have fun when you tackle those tasks. Um, some time is better than no time. Never underestimate the impact, meaningful engagement with your child for five minutes day for five minutes um, today. Uh, that will impact the future as well. Be aware of your own screen time and the underlying message it communicates to your children. Set limits for yourself and stick to them. You're modeling good habits and at the same time demonstrating that personal time with your child is most important. Yeah, those are fantastic. Those are really great. And just to recap, the structure and consistency are your friends. I, I love that idea. <laughs> Playing with your child, um, your children number two, and often, again, letting them be the leader and you following their play and um, you know, maybe giving suggestions, but letting them lead. And um, those chores, giving them chores, let's make them fun and creative. Um, and right, some time is better than no time. And right, even this, the shortest, smallest moment can really have a meaningful impact. So to remember that, and those those add together over time. And so grab it where you can. And then mm-hmm. um, in this age of, of booming technology, which truly I think is a mixed blessing, to be aware of your own screen time. Um, and yeah. to be mindful of where you are um, when you're with your kids and, you know, setting limits for yourself. And as you had mentioned earlier, we're their models, and they're going to follow what we do more so than what we say. Um, that's oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> right, that's the age-old <laughs> problem or the age-old issue. Yeah. But um, so with that, actually, we've come to the end of the show. And so I, I, I want to thank Raina Lombardi, our guest. Raina, this has been really wonderful. Thank you for your creative ideas and giving us your time and your and your talent. And, um, again, I'm going to put Raina's links up on the show site so I can put her website and I can put your Facebook, excuse me, your Facebook page, too, if you'd like to find sure. out more about what she, um, what you offer, and they can contact you there. And I also want to thank our guests for tuning in. And, as always, we always in, invite everyone to email us, at, email us at the show with questions, with comments, with your feedback. And you can reach us at email at kidsatoz.com. That's, oh, I'm sorry, that's info at kidsatoz.com, info at kidsatoz.com. You can follow us on the Blog Talk Radio page, and you can follow us on our Facebook page, too, which is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Teresa. And so that's pretty much it, everybody. Um, I am Teresa Seniorelli, your host. I thank everyone for tuning in, and have a super day. <laughs>